and welcome to the Dr. Dion Show on Business Radio X, where you can listen to smart dialogue about diversity, leadership, and behavior in the workplace and beyond. I am excited because we're joined today by Chief Roy Whitehead of Snellville's Snellville's Police Department. And I'm also excited because it's the first uh, episode that we are actually featuring out of the Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel in Duluth, Georgia. Thanks for coming, Chief. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for coming. So we're going to have a candid conversation today about policing, um, community relationships, um, racial profiling, everything you can think of, and just kind of um, help hopefully give the audience some insight as to the nature of policing, uh, how challenging it is, and um, and how we can actually bridge the gap in, in terms of what's happening today with the community and also with um, different um, parts of um, the society, society um, citizens. Sounds okay. great. Be glad to do it. Great. So can we start off by just, can you tell us about yourself? Um, you know, where are you from originally? How long have you been policing? Your philosophy? All that, all that kind of stuff. Well, I was born in Athens a long time ago. Uh, I've been <laughs> in law enforcement for 45 years. Uh, I graduated from the University of Georgia with a degree in criminal justice. I served in the uh, military police for six years. I was with Athens-Clark County for 18 years. Then I was chief of police over in Somerville, South Carolina for 10 years. And then I've been chief here in Snellville for about 12 years. So about 45, 46 years. That's awesome. And I will share, uh, I will divulge that I actually I'm a citizen. I, 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 um, I reside in Snellville. And so I am delighted to meet you because I actually decided to, to join or to sign up for the Snellville Citizens Academy. And uh, I think we're approaching the end, which is next week. Right. And uh, that's where actually where I met you. I had the pleasure of meeting you and hearing you speak before I actually, actually met you. As I shared in one of our conversations, before I met you, I kind of had an idea who you were. Because um, having lived in, lived in Snellville for the last 13 years, almost approach, almost 14 years, I have encountered many Snellville police departments, p- policemen and women. And every single interaction I've had has been respectful, has been pleasant. And um, I'm of the philosophy that uh, that, um, you know, the, the, the body doesn't do what the head doesn't know. And I really believe that you hire a certain type of, peop- of, of a person or officer, because um, if, if not, then I wouldn't have had those kind of encounters with with your officers. So, so I can tell I could tell that you had a really positive um, leadership style. And I can tell that you're you're one that preaches respect. And can you just can you just tie into that? Am I correct? Well, our goal, of course, the first thing is I'm extremely proud of the men and women that we do have because I think they're outstanding people of high co- um, high quality, high caliber. I think they're honest. I think they have integrity. But more importantly, I think they care about the community. And one of the things that we talk about when in the hiring process is, is that I want every person that works for us to treat people the way they'd want a family member treated, their child, their parent, uh, their wife, their husband, whoever it is. Uh, treat them with that same respect. Be as nice to people as you possibly can be and as they'll allow you to be. Uh, but we do should treat people with respect. And we're out there f- for a purpose. Our purpose is to protect and to serve the community. And we do a lot more service than we do protecting. Just mm-hmm. when you can tell by the calls of service and how, how they answered and how we answer and what is required of us. So uh, certainly that's that has a lot to do with it. But uh, we believe people should treat everybody fairly and equitably. Not everybody you come in contact with needs to go to jail, uh, but if they do, they should go. Uh, not everybody that you stop in a traffic stop needs a ticket, but if they do, then you should write them a ticket. Uh, but you can still do that, treating people appropriately and fairly and helping them to understand why it is we do what we do. 
That's great. And speaking of which, I, I remember you mentioned uh, the the, um, the the statement, "Have a nice day." You want you want to tell me what you you well, said about that? Yeah, I'll start with first thing is when we stop people, I want them to tell them why they stop them. Uh, a lot of police officers say, "Do you know why I stopped you?" Well, that can sort of put us into an adversarial situation from the beginning, which which is not necessary. So I think you ought to tell them. But yes, I don't like for them to end it by saying, have a nice day, because if you get stopped by the police and, and you even if you just get a warning, but if you get a warning or a ticket, then by definition, you're probably not having a nice day. And and people perceive that, that we don't mean it in the appropriate way. I'd a lot rather they conclude that uh, stop by saying, please be safe or drive carefully. Great. And so you kind of touched on accountability. And so I guess if, if a, one of your officers does not treat a citizen with respect, then they'll be held accountable. Uh, but but before that, how do you, how can you figure out the character of somebody? I think you, you talk a little bit about their family. You talk about their history and where they come from. Because when we're doing the background, we also don't just talk to the people they put down as references. You'd be pretty silly to put down somebody who wouldn't say good things about you. <laughs> True. <laughs> but when we contact those references, we also try to find other people that, that know our prospective applicant, and we try to talk to them too. Oh, really? So we also, because we want to know who it is that we're that, that's coming to work for us, and we've been really successful. It's 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 a lot harder today than it has been, but it but we're still finding those people in our community that can that are are the uh, have the caliber and the quality and the character that we want. When you say it's a lot harder today, what are you referring to? We don't get near as many applications for jobs as we used to get. Hmm. Um, I, I can tell you that when we first. When I first came to Snowville for every opening, we'd probably have 30, 35 applications. Now we may have seven to 10. We've started trying to do recruiting. Uh, we we uh, got one of our local citizens who does video, and we did a, a recruitment video. Uh, we attend job fairs. We send the information out to um, all types of high schools, colleges, particularly more so uh, technical schools and colleges, because we really want you to be 21 when we hire you. But we, but we certainly will talk to people who are not. And so we were trying to do that to try to find the quality of applicant that we would like to have. And particularly, we, want, we think the police department should look like our community. So one of our goals, of course, is to recruit minority members. Of course, every agency, every organization also wants to recruit. So we've got to try to get ourselves out there, hopefully build a reputation, and, and be the type of agency that people want to apply to. That's great. Okay. So I guess in the end, you'll be able to share your information and, and where people can contact you if they're actually interested in coming to be a part of your police department. Well, actually, all they have to do is go to the city website and get an application and download it, Okay, send it to us, and, and I can talk about later if you want to some of the other opportunities that we do have. Okay, that'd be great. Thank you. So just want to change gears for a second. I, I, I was thinking about uh, their interview this morning, and, and this popped in my head, this question. Why do you think crime exists? Well, that's a tough question. <laughs> I, I think there's uh, there are all kinds of reasons. There are people who commit crime out of necessity because they either uh, have a terrible economic situation or don't have the abilities maybe to provide for themselves and their families. I think that's one. Obviously, people who uh, become addicted to substances uh, have a need to purchase those substances, which requires more than what most people can earn doing a, a regular job. So they, they mm -hmm. take that opportunity. Sometimes it's just that there are people who have that as a, as a mindset, that, mm -hmm. that, that they just don't want to be part of society. They don't want to conform to society's values, and they continue to do those things. 
And and uh, that's an interesting because I, I, we've heard it over and over again that the police officers or police officers are often asked to be social workers and to be um, you know interventionists and and just and deal with mental health issues and and so your your jobs are they run the gamut of what you, what 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 issues you have to deal with which can be pretty daunting. Oh, I mean, we're expected to be a, a, a counselor. We're expected to be a social worker. We're expected to be a lawyer. We're expected to be all, all types of things. I mean, that, there are a lot of demands for us and we do the best we can, but, but you touched on a subject that's really important. And that is that if you think back to the sixties and seventies, when we had about 150 million people in our country, there were 660,000 people institutionalized because of mental health issues and illnesses. Hmm. Today, we have 350 million people, and there are only 40,000 people who are actually committed for those same types of, of, of mental illnesses and, and issues. So what, what results is that the police, the jail, and the prisons have become the largest provider of mental health interaction and services in our country today. So, you know, we got to find a way, and we do. We, we teach our officers how, hopefully, to de-escalate. We teach them to look for those types of things, whether it's a, a, a manic situation, whether they have autism, any, any of those things. We're looking for those things, but, and we do our best uh, to, to, to deal with them and um, get the people to the proper place. The law allows us to take somebody to a commitment facility if, uh, instead of the jail if they commit an offense for which they could be arrested. Mm -hmm. And we will do that. You're, you're having to make a lot of subjective choices. And we've got to determine, is it because they're mentally ill? Is it because they're under the influence of some substance that might be either mind-altering or, or just impairs their judgment? So, we, I mean, there's a lot of things, a lot of factors that go into what we do. Yes. And actually, this ties into actually my first show uh, looked at mental health and policing. And I had some guests on um, from the crisis intervention team um, under the direction of uh, Pat Stoll. Pat Stoll? Uh, sorry. And um, so they were talking about that just in terms of when a police officer encounters a situation, they have to kind of make the assessment, is that person mentally ill and wh where that person should go and how that sh person should be treated and what's best for that for that person. So I appreciate you sharing that and just kind of reinforcing what uh, we talked about before. You just mentioned that so when you encounter a person, you have the time to kind of figure out where they should go. But but um, the opposite to that is, is or the flip side to that is that sometimes police officers have to make a, a very, very split second decision. And so I want to kind of talk about the whole notion of bias in, in, in policing. So I know that it's come up quite a bit uh, over the last few years, uh, in particular in, in the black community. Um, the, the complaint is that um, black men in particular and also some black women have been targeted and um, shot and killed. And so I'm just trying to figure out, can you explain to me the whole notion of racial profiling, your, your belief? And before I say that, I want to say that, Tom, you know, coming from a, a, a person who's researched the, the notion of bias. And so it, so I, I simply define it as just a, a, a prejudgment of someone without having all the facts. But I but I understand that it's difficult for police officers because you you're you're trained to act and, and do an assessment without having all the facts. So I'm trying to figure out how do you how do you deal with that? I think. The first thing is any situation and any interaction with law enforcement, we all bring our personal experiences and our life experiences, things that we've heard anecdotally, whether we actually experience them personally or not. And I think sometimes we look for that to occur and, and we may attribute that reason for why something occurred. And I think we all have to be careful when we're interacting to make sure that doesn't happen. First of all, racial profiling to me, is totally unacceptable. You should never profile anybody based on race or uh, religion or national origin or ethnicity or any of those things. But what we do do is we look at behaviors all the time. 
And everybody, regardless of your race, regardless of your sex, regardless of your national origin, they have certain indicators that they're the same. And we have to look for those. No one indicator means anything. But the more indicators that are present, the more likely it is that person is involved in a, in a criminal activity. But um, most of our interactions come as a result of being called to a call for service or patrolling in an area where we, we've already had issues and we're looking to try to keep that from occurring. So, you know, a lot of our interactions are determined by what, what type of call we got, what information we have when we, when we go to the scene and, and all those things. But I don't believe, and I would not tolerate anybody discriminating against somebody for any reason. I've, and I've never, in my 45 years, I look at the situation and, and I deal with everybody the same. I, I, it's not that because you're a certain race or you're a certain religion or you came from a certain country, should I treat you differently? What's what's actually occurring? And why are we there? And and to get the best possible outcome. My goal is to always have the best outcome. Mm-hmm. And and I'll I'll um, uh, reiterate that that just my experiences just you know just with my with my children's schools and going to Snellville days and and I I, I was actually rear-ended at one point um, in Snellville and again I'll say that I've never been treated poorly by anybody in your police department and I and um and I just and which is actually new <laughs> I would say because I've been in, I've lived in different communities and I, I cannot say that that I've that living in a place for almost 14 years that nothing has ever happened because that's that it has happened to me in the past as well. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to share a, a situation that happened to my brother-in-law. He was walking down the street with his neighbor who was an elderly white woman and they're just talking. They're on their way to the supermarket. And then all of a sudden uh, some police officers, not in Snuggle, not, not in the U S actually um, the police officers jumped out of the car and then just, just pushed him aside and separated them. And then and then went went to him and grilled him and said, you know, um, what are you doing with her and how do you know her? And at the same time, they were they were interrogating the lady, saying to her, uh, you know, do you know this? Do you know this this boy? This 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 boy? What's he doing? And so, is that not racial profiling? Like I think what 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 because you you go back to the to the um to the indicators that the what's it called? You said the criminal indicators. the criminal indicators. Uh, and I mean that could be. And I, I'm not I I would never sit here and tell you some people don't do that, mm-hmm. but I think it's the a very small minority of the people who are involved in law enforcement and particularly in other countries, they, they police differently than we do anyway. Mm-hmm. But, um, but also what information did they have when they got there? Had, had they been working a series of, of crimes where elderly people were targeted and the suspects mm-hmm. were of a certain race? And if they did, did they, did they start out correctly? I don't know. Maybe not, but, but you have to understand that there are a lot of factors involved that are more than just what you see, uh, just you know, at, at the point of, of the interaction. Okay, and and that kind of ties into what we've talked about in terms of from a a citizen's perspective versus a police's perspective. You have um, specified training that you go through, and you have to consider um, many things that um, a citizen doesn't necessarily know about or is, is, is privy to. So you just mentioned the context. So context is very important. So you know, I've shared that story before, and and, and also I heard it from my from my brother in law, and that's the first time that I've heard someone say, "Well, were there previous interest incidents that 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 occurred that um, that that um, um, that dealt with the same types of people, which is why they may have pulled the person over." So I do I, I do understand from that perspective. And and I'm not saying they were right, but there, yes. but there are other factors that we. That's why we should never rush to judgment when there's any interaction like this. We should wait and let the facts come out and let the evidence. Uh, be identified so that we that we make the proper response so that if we did do it wrong we are held accountable and that's see that's one reason that I, and I, I told you this earlier 
we were one of the first agencies in Georgia to have a full implementation of body cameras. I started phasing them in over five years ago. And the reason is that, uh, number one, is I think if, if we know we're being recorded, we're going to do better. Absolutely. And I also believe that it gives us a better chance of knowing what actually occurred, because we also talked about this, that, that your perception of what happened could be totally different than what actually occurred or what was intended. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, whatever you bring to the table from your life experiences could determine how you perceive what, what occurred. But every time we've had a video, we've actually done it right. And one of the things I do is I, I, our supervisors have to review the body cameras and the car cameras monthly and, and go over how the officers conducted themselves and then have a hmm. interaction with them to say, you could have done this better or you did that really well. We need to share that with, with other people. That's so, great. So, you know, we always want to be better. And, and I mean, I've always been asked this, well, if you had a chance to do it over, would you do it differently? I said, if we could do it better. You know, mm -hmm. because we always want to critique what we do and, and get better. That's certainly our goal. But I, I, I told you that we I had a state legislator who contacted some of our council members and said that an officer stopped his daughter and that the officer was, was rude and that his daughter didn't commit the violation for which um, she was stopped. And when she called the officer on it, the officer said, well, you've got a GPS. I could just charge you with distracted driving. So he made that complaint to our elected officials and then they they passed it on to me so immediately i went and got the video and i played it and the officer couldn't have been nicer to this young lady and what happened was she said uh, ma'am i was right behind you and the, when the light turned red and you clearly didn't stop cross the stop line until after the light was red and the young lady said well you know i got a gps maybe i was looking at it and mm -hmm. the officer said well that that could be distracted driving so I wrote him a letter and explained that I that I felt that the complaint was unfounded, and I sent him the video. And then he called me, and he said, I've had the opportunity to review this with my, my daughter. And he said, my daughter's biggest takeaway from this was that she didn't remember the officer being that nice. Hmm. And he said, my biggest takeaway was I don't think my daughter was being completely truthful. Well, the answer is, yes, she was, but she was telling what her perception was of that traffic stop. But as I said, was there, without the video, is there anything that I could have said that would have made you believe that officer conducted herself the way she did if we hadn't had it? And the answer is no. And, and that's absolutely an honest answer. It, that, that's true. Mm -hmm. we, we would not. But also I know this about interactions and complaints. There's three sides to every story. In, in our situation, there's the officer's side, there's the violator's side, and there's the truth. And the truth sometimes lays a whole lot closer to one than the other. Luckily, when you have the, the because it's human nature to tell a story like most favorable to yourself. Absolutely. So when we have the video, but, the, but the, the downside to the video is that you may create an unreasonable expectation that there'll always be one because they are equipment. They do fail. Uh, the body cameras have cards that can fill up. So they stop recording when that happens. An officer could forget to turn it on. However, if, if the same officer continues to forget, there's an issue that we've got to address. So, um, I mean, so we, we're always looking for that. The other thing is, is that it's a two-dimensional view of a three-dimensional world. So even though we've got the video, sometimes you still have to analyze it and still have to look at it because also when you're in a confrontation in the fight or flight mode that you're in, both the person and the officer, your vision narrows and you're, you may see, th the camera may see something we didn't see. So you have to take that into account too. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so you're listening to the Dr. Dion show 
And we are joined by Chief uh, Roy Whitehead of Snellville's Police Department. So let's continue the discussion about the 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 cameras. So so as I mentioned before, there there have been police shootings in, in which people have been, have been caught on camera. There was there's been public outcry in terms of okay why why was this why did this happen? And um, I think you mentioned before that sometimes there's a um, again that we can't necessarily see the whole thing. The the video just takes a snapshot of what happened. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? For instance, the the one in, in Baton Rouge, if 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 you slow the video down, when you look at it, where the like, the officers on the ground and they end up shooting an individual, mm-hmm. um, they're struggling with this person. If you just look at the video, it looks like you, you can't tell what the person ha- has done that uh, that may have caused them to fire. So, but with, and there was a study done by a firearms instructor, and he took the frames and went frame by frame, and when you look at it. You can tell that the man on the ground was reaching for the gun that he had, which was the reason they were there in the first place. He had used that gun uh, and pointed it at some people. So they were called to the scene. They were struggling with him. They had him on the ground. But he is going for a gun, and that's when they fired. But from the video, all you see is the police shooting somebody who's laying on the ground. So you don't have all the information uh, that's available. But also, these interactions are studied. There's, There's a group called the Force Science Institute, and they study uh, uses of force. What we do know is that if we're on the ground struggling with somebody, whether it's our weapon they get to or their own weapon, a hundred percent of the time the police are shot or in, injured or killed. Hmm. So that's that's another thing. Uh, also, when you're when you're in a confrontation, your mind doesn't work. It's it's not like a computer. When you perceive a threat, let's say you pointed a gun at me and I perceive that as a threat. Well, I'm, I may be going for my gun and you might fire. But by the time I can draw my gun, you may have even turned. But I'm not. I'm probably not going to stop. I'm still going to probably shoot. So I might hit you in the front, or I might hit you in the back as you turn. But it, it, it you know, it's because of reaction time, the amount of time that uh, the instant that occurs. So you've got to look at a lot of factors before you just look at something and say, "Oh, it's exactly this." That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's real a lot. And, and But as you're saying, I'm also thinking about the case, is it North Carolina, where the citizen was kind of running away from the officer and the officer kind of... It's in South Carolina, and that South trial Carolina. is going on right now. It's going on right now. Okay. Yes. Because, you know, just um, sometimes we just we, we, we do want to, to look at the video and say, okay, our eyes are not deceiving us. And um, looking at that case, it seems like that was a little bit... That was from very odd. <laughs> from everything we see, of course, mm-hmm. it's also one of the reasons he's being prosecuted. Absolutely. Uh, you know, but th- there's another video that I saw just this week, and, and you see a guy in, from the, the camera, from the car camera, you see the guy. Then he turns to run, and the police are shooting at him. And you go, well, he's running away. Why are they shooting at him? Well, that's the part the media showed. Hmm. Well, then you got the whole video, and the guy's got a gun, and he's already fired at him once. <laughs> and he's still, you know, as he turns to run. So that, that you know, it, it's you got to have all the facts. Yes. If you don't have all the information, then you have a rush to judgment. And we need, I think, in law enforcement as leaders and our elected official leaders, we need to to set the tone that to, to let people know that we will hold people accountable if they're wrong. But we also need to recognize that we have to take the time to investigate and make sure we do it right. You know, if we don't do it right, or the person's not held accountable when it's clear, when there's clear and convincing evidence that they did what it looked wrong, that's when we need to to really um, step up w- what the efforts to combat it. Yes. And so I, I think with with more uh, accountability, I think that hopefully would improve 
uh, what's happening in terms of the relations between between policing and um, police and and citizens, because it just seems like I'm just growing up. I just I just there's always been this kind of policemen have always been on a pedestal. They've always been okay. There's a there's a there's a uh, um, an uh, intrinsic respect for them, and it just seems like there's a, there's been I think it's been an erosion of, of our morals in general. But that's a whole other story. But I just think that there's 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 this there's there's something going on. And would you agree with me or not that there's it just seems like there's not that respect for for for, for officers does not exist any anymore. Well, I think it's there, but I think the the disrespect is what's getting the play in the media and what's being brought forward. You know, when we 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 look at a lot of things that we do. And people have a right to question what we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're in, you're you're going through the Citizens Police Academy, and you did the building clearing. And, I did. And then when you're going through the building, I, I, uh, we had a group of people. I don't know who they were, but they're going through the building, and they see, um, you know, this is a crime that's occurred. They're searching the building. They see the legs of somebody, and they started shooting. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can't do that. I mean, we can't do that. If we're the police, and that's who you were when you were coming through there, the police, we can't do that. That's where was the threat? We would be prosecuted for that. And and let me just uh, just to to, to listen, tell our audience that. Uh, so I I I've been I joined the the academy, and um, what you're sharing is so we had we were, all of all of the people like. I think 30 of us were, were asked to come to this abandoned building, which mm-hmm. is actually the, the former uh, Snellville Police Department building. And so uh, we were paired up in twos and we had to go into the building uh, in the dark with a, um, uh, a fake gun and a flashlight and had to go in and do an assessment. And I tell you, <laughs> I don't recall being that afraid in a very long time. And I just I had a newfound respect for a renewed respect for the police because that's a very difficult thing. Walking in, you have no idea about the landscape. You have no idea who's hiding. Somebody was hiding in the cupboard and jumped out and said, bang, bang, you're dead. And, and it sounds like it's a, it's a game, but, 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 but really it's, it, it was, it was real because you, you felt like, okay, you you had to protect yourself, but also find out what was happening and, and to identify any possible people that are, that are also being hurt. So. Right. And that person could have been somebody else who was being threatened by the person you were going in there to look for, and they were just hiding. That's right. You know, so you have to, you know, we, hopefully we want to make sure we go after the right person. And I think something, too, that that um, that gets neglected when we think about it. Police officers, when they fire their weapon in the line of duty, what we know for a fact is that 70 percent of them are out of law enforcement within five years because really? they cannot handle the fact that they took someone's life or injured someone. You know, nobody goes out this with with the with the idea that there is an opportunity for us to hunt people or, or opportunity to hurt people. You you don't do that. When I started a long long time ago, and one of the questions I was asked in my review board was, uh, "Do you think that you could take another human life?" Hmm. And my answer was, "I don't know." I said, "I believe." that if my life were in danger or another officer or a citizen's life was in danger, that I could. But the honest answer is I don't know. Well, I've been put in many of those situations, and I found out what the answer was. I could. Hmm. But I also know what it would have done to me had I done it. Because, see, that you talked about it and you hit on it. We don't teach the value of life and the sanctity of life. We're not Kids are not getting that today. You know, you that they not. some of them think that they're not going to live to be thirty anyway, so they don't care and they don't conform their behaviors in, in that 
method. Other people just they, they just don't have any respect for human life. It's the same problem the schools have that we're not teaching the values at home, at in the church, in the schools, so that they have school discipline problems mm-hmm. because we're not getting those values. That's what we need to do together. You know, one of the things that I believe is that the only us versus them there should ever be is the uh, the police in the community versus whoever the criminal element is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's who we need to, to focus our efforts on. We need to become one people. We need to quit labeling ourselves. We need to quit worrying about all the things that are ex- extemporaneous, that are around us. Let's get together and let's work together. That's why, you know, I've sent our officers through training at the King Center, through the Dr. King's Nonviolence 365. And I believe what Dr. King said is that, you know, hate isn't going to get us out of hate. Only love will. And that's what we're all going to have to do. And and we've got to realize that as we become partners and working together. That's what my goal is with our community is to reach out to every segment of the community and to be involved with them and to bring them, bring them in. You know, you, we're talking about the CPA stuff, but this judgmental shooting, you know, you've, you've probably heard some of the things that have been said. Uh, and in Arizona, for instance, there was a police officer who shot someone and they had marked, there were a lot of marching in the street was led by a particular pastor and they invited him to come to the academy, mm-hmm. to their police academy and enter uh, into some judgmental shooting situations. And he did it. And then when he left, he said, you know, I have a new message and the message is compliance, you know, mm-hmm. even if the police are wrong, cause we're not always right. We will not always be right. But when we're out there on that scene, we believe we are, and we're going to use the force that's necessary to make an arrest. So just comply with what the officer says. The worst thing that can happen is you spend a night in jail or you get a ticket. Then make a complaint. File a suit. Let's get to the prosecutor and let them investigate it. If it needs to be prosecuted, let's prosecute. Let's do it. But then nobody's hurt. And that's, that's the goal, because I don't care what the person's done. Mm-hmm. If we kill somebody, that's a tragedy. We've lost a human life. We've affected his family, his community, his his church, and then the officer who's involved has been affected, his family, his community, his church. You know, so what would the, the goal should be is that we stop violence of all kinds, whether it's police violence or just community violence. Yes. That's got to be what our goal is. Well, I, I just want to push back because uh, you, you mentioned the term compliance, and I thought about that other case uh, that was streamed live on Facebook that was just horrendous a few months ago. I think the, the victim's name was Castile. The, um, he was driving with his fiance and he was killed, unfortunately. What is somebody to do who thinks that they're being compliant? What should somebody do if they're pulled over by the police? Okay. And how do they how do they prevent not, <laughs> not being... That, that, that's a good question because, you know, I, I did, I've done several forums at a, a lot of churches, particularly African-American churches, and they say, what, what can I tell my child? so that they won't be harmed by the police. Well, we actually have a class that we will teach and that talks about that. But the answer is that when the, when the police stop you, if it's, uh, put your hands on the steering wheel, don't make any motions that you, uh, without asking. Like if the officer asks you for your license, you can say, my license is in my hip pocket. Do you mind if I go for it? Mm-hmm. The officer's going to say, sure, go right ahead, because they're, we're going to be watching your hands, and we know what you're doing. Okay? If, if you got, if we say, May I see your registration or insurance card? And it's in your glove compartment. The worst thing you can do is dive for it. You, you should say, uh, "My this information is in my glove compartment. May I reach for it? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You know, and if you've got a gun in your glove compartment, 
it would be a good idea to say, officer, there's a gun in my glove compartment. And then we will handle that differently. Okay. You know, so that, so that we don't do that. But again, what I'm, what I'm saying is, is that you, if you just do with what they ask and, oh, by the way, if it's at night, turn the lights on so we can see what's in the car with tinted windows and everything else we need to be able to see. Don't be making those furtive movements. Don't, the inside light. Of yeah. The car. Okay. Don't do any of those things. And, and somebody said, well, you know, isn't it a shame that we have to teach people that? And I said, well, it's the same thing I taught my daughter. It's the same thing I taught my nephews. Because here's the problem that we face. 93% of the people in this country are good, honest, hardworking, law-abiding citizens. The other 7% of that are not, you can't tell who they are by looking at them. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have to be in control. We have to make sure that we go home safe. But we treat people with respect, and we do those things. Again, if we're wrong, let's make the complaint. We can fix it. We, but let's fix it together. Let's don't get somebody hurt. Thank you. And actually, as you said that, I just remembered uh, part of the academy was visiting the Gwinnett County Jail. I, I was fascinated by the wide range of people in there, um, different ages, different races. I think the oldest one, oldest person was like 73 years old. It was just and you have this notion of what of what a what a quote unquote criminal is. or And um, it really blew me away to see how many different p- types of people were actually in jail, which kind of, which, sa- which says that to your point that officers don't know <laughs> who's, who, who is a threat and who's not a threat. And so you have to treat everybody like a, p- a possible threat. Well, you have to be prepared for it. Okay. You have to be prepared. Uh, one of the things I like to say, a uh, story I like to tell in the Citizens Police Academy is I say, okay, today you're all South Carolina highway patrolmen and you're out working and running radar on I-95. And you track an almost new Mustang coming south. You clock it doing 82 and a 70. And so you do what troopers do. You go and stop that car. Now, you may well be going to give them a warning. You might be going to issue them a citation. But that car pulls to the, to the side. The trooper pulls up behind them. And you see there's a driver. There's a lady that's in the front passenger seat. There's an 11-year-old in the back seat. And there's a, uh, a kid in a, in a car seat right behind the driver. And so I asked the question, is that a high-risk traffic stop or a low-risk traffic stop? And almost everybody says low risk, but see, there is no such thing as a low risk traffic stop. We don't, we, you cannot determine that. And if he could be here today, first Sergeant Frankie Landgard of the South Carolina Highway Patrol would tell you that because he stopped that car. He got out of his car. He took two steps toward the car. The man leaned out the window, fired five shots and killed him right on the side of I-95. The crime that that man had done is he had done a credit card fraud in Virginia. That was his only crime. So you don't, you can't tell by looking at people who they are. You have to look for their their actions, their furtive movements, the criminal indicators that we talked about, mm-hmm. um, all those things that can tell you what it is that uh, that we're looking for. That that might be the person who is the threat. So that might raise my threshold. Uh, what information do I have when I stop the car? What has occurred around me? You know, all, all these things factor into to uh, an interaction. And um, sorry, so you're watching the Dr. Dion show and we're joined by Police Chief Roy Whitehead of Snellville Police Department. Thank you. So just to continue with that with uh, with that conversation. So you talked about the criminal indicators Mm -hmm. when if you're driving and you get stopped, there is there is already an inherent um, um, fear, um, uneasiness that comes with that. So how do you uh, differentiate between nervousness versus a criminal indicator and someone doing something wrong well the first thing i always ask people is when the blue lights come on behind you do you get nervous and uh, raise your hand 
again, at the Citizens Police Academy. And everybody whose hand isn't up, I say, is lying. <laughs> you know, that's absolutely true, me included. The blue lights come on behind me, I'm going to be nervous. But that's why I tell our officers, when you stop the car, you tell them why you stopped them. If I tell you I stopped you because you're, you failed to signal a turn, and at that point in your mind, you know the worst thing that can happen to you is that I could give you a ticket, but I might give you a warning. All right. So that nervousness starts to subside. The people that we're looking for, that's not true. In fact, if anything, it gets worse. Hmm. You'll see, you can, if you watch them, you can see their carotid artery bounce. You can be a night where it's cold, they might sweat. Hmm. Um, another thing is, is like a lot of people hang these little air fresheners from their rearview mirror, make the car smell good. Do you hang 25? <laughs> so if you see that, that's a criminal indicator. So, you know, and, and, and you just look at, at, at what's going on and you interact and you ask these questions. So you might ask them at that point to step out of the car. Okay. You might be nervous if I asked you to step out of the car, but not to the point that you have to put your hand on the side of the car to steady yourself mm -hmm. or not to the point that, um, you know, your knees are just shaking or you get to the back of the car and you sit on the bumper. Um, you know, all, hmm. all of these things. And so, that they, I mean, that, that's, again, some other things. And then you go, uh, you know, tell me where you've been this evening. And they, they have a hard time telling you. Um, you know, I, I, well, uh, you know, and they stutter and they stammer and, and finally they may say, well, we're visiting a friend. Well, what's your friend's name? Well, I, I don't know his name. Um, uh, well, hmm. where does he live? Well, you know, uh, you know, and he points, but, <laughs> and then finally may come up with it. Say there's somebody else in the car. So you walk up to the passenger, you say, good evening. How have you been this evening? Where have y'all been this evening? And he goes, another city. You know, we call that a clue. Because these folks are, if you've been in the same car, you should probably know where you've been. Yeah. You know, so all of these things tend to make you uh, do it. Like when we're making a traffic stop, let's say you're sitting perpendicular to the road. Well, a lot of reasons we do that is to run laser. But it's also because you can watch the driver. So let's say you have a multi-lane road. Mm. You're on the shoulder. You got cars coming in the multi-lane. Okay. If there's somebody who's involved in some type of um crime or they're wanted or they have all these things, they're going to start doing these things that I'm talking about pretty quick because they see the police. So they see the police car. What's their first notion is to get away from it. So if it's in this shoulder, they're uh, on this side of the road, the right side, they're going to move to the inside lane. Hmm. They may run up on the back of another car and get real close. They may go across the fog line or the lane line and they'll lock out at 10 and two and they'll drive straight ahead and they will never look at the police car. Hmm. And I think that they think that if, if uh, I don't see him, he can't see me, <laughs> you know, but, but also by sitting there, well, you can watch the car go all the way past and watch and see if it does it again, crosses the lane line, crosses the fog line. These, and then you can make that traffic stop because that's again, some things that we're looking for. Doesn't mean they did it. It could be all kinds of reasons, but that's just one of the things that you start to look for. And uh, again, it doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your sex is. Doesn't matter what your age is. All, uh, national origin, people all do these same things. All these indicators w will be available. Uh, but not, again, no one of them means anything. But the more that are present, the more likely it is. Mm -hmm. And another thing is that you ask somebody, let's say, um, do you have anything illegal in your car? And if I ask you that, what would you say? What would I say? What would you say if I no, said? No. And it would be no. true. <laughs> okay. Right. But what we'll get is, do you have anything illegal in your car? They'll go, in my car? <laughs> Uh, yeah, like that one you just got out of. Do you have anything illegal? And they'll look in the car. They'll look to the side. Um, not that I know of. Hmm. Okay. So 
you know, and what we say is anything other than no means yes. So that we, we may ask at that point for consent to search. Well, if the first place I'm probably going to look is where they were looking when they were doing not in my car, uh, not that I know. Okay. <laughs> you know? And, uh, but, and so you may well find something. But that, that brings another point is uh, a lot of people say, well, if the police ask you if they can search your car, you got to let them. No, you don't. You, you, do you don't not. have to. You do not. If I ask you for cons- now, if, if I have probable cause, you don't get to you don't get to intervene in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if I I'm just asking for consent because I might be suspicious, but I don't know anything, and I and I say, may I search your car? And you can say no, and I can't search. Okay, wait, wait. So what's the distinction between probable cause and suspicion? I thought it was kind of one and the same. No, probable cause means it's more probable than not that that there that a crime has occurred. Or like for instance, probable cause exists. Let's say. I was getting ready to get to that. I bring a dog over, mm-hmm. okay, and the dog goes around your car, and the dog alerts. We now have probable cause to search your car. Mm-hmm. We no longer need your permission. Okay. And with a car, you don't have to have a warrant because it's inherently mobile. So if you have probable cause, you can search. Oh. But but just the fact that somebody says uh, says no, when you got to let them go, you can't search their car. If you don't have anything else, you cannot search that car. If you can't develop probable cause, just because I, I think or I have a hunch or I might have suspicion, that's not probable cause. Uh, probable cause means it's more probable than not that something's there. Very interesting. Okay. that's Thanks for the, for clarifying that. Okay. Well, um, we're coming towards the end of our interview or our conversation, I should say. And I just wanted to ask you, how do you measure your success? Well, I, I, in a lot of ways. Uh, of course, one I think is is the perception that the community has of the police department. And that's probably the most important, how we're received in the community. Do we have community support? The number of complaints that you get are very, if they're very few, then you've got to believe that you're doing some things right. You know, have you, uh, is crime down? But see, I don't want the police to take credit for crime being down by themselves because it's the community. If the community is willing to come to us and tell us, then that's how we're going to be successful because there is a statistic that says that in 90% of the crimes committed, there's a third person who's not directly involved in the crime who knows who did it. Hmm. So if we could tap into that resource and build that relationship so that the people will come to us and give us information. And I always say this to people, you know, you're the experts in your community. If something's going on there, you know, so call. And we'd rather be called a thousand times and not be needed than not to be called the time that we are. So always be willing to, to do that and, and be willing to, to be open and above board. And I think that's what community policing has done is building these relationships with the community so that they will do it. I mean, it's like we have our public safety night. We, we participate in other public safety events. We have our Tippecott. We have Snevel Days. We have um, the, all these programs that we do at the various schools and the churches, and we let kids come and do. Uh, well, we want more citizens to come and join the Citizens Police Academy because that's how that's the best thing we do to reach out to the community for them to see what it is that police do and why they do it. It builds the, that level of trust and understanding because all of our officers that participate in that are on their own time. They're not being paid to come out there and teach that. They do it because hmm. they want to. I didn't know that. Well, I will I will say that it is an incredible experience going through the academy and just learning more about um, even the city that I lived in. I, I, I learned a lot, new, a lot of new things and uh, just going through the different modules um, between domestic violence to actually going to a shooting range it's, it's, and, and going to the abandoned building. It has been a really, really eye-opening experience. And I, I want to thank you so much for keeping uh, um, 
the city where I live very safe and um, and just just the work you're doing, because I think you are an example to many police departments. And uh, I'm not just saying that because you're sitting here. I just think that uh, people can learn from from your leadership because it's it, it's not it's a, it's a great place to live. It really is. So I thank you for coming on the show today. Well, I really appreciate it. Well, thanks again to our listeners for uh, tuning into the Dr. Dion Show, where you hear smart dialogue about diversity, leadership, and behavior in the workplace and beyond. Our share, our sh- our share, our show airs live on the second Friday of each month at 10 a.m. And you can also to listen to the show at any time on GwinnettBusinessRadioX.com. Happy Veterans Day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mm-hmm.